The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bryans. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up, Chelsea on cloud nine as they go top. United do Old Trafford proud, and the Seagulls hand out a hammering. It's Kate Borsay here with former Lioness Laura Bassett and football writer Carrie Dunn. How are you both? Laura, you're fresh from Old Trafford. I'm sure that there's still smiles in your household today. Yeah, yeah. It was a fantastic day and uh, we celebrated. (laughs) We were so tired at the end of the day. We celebrated with a chippy tea in the car. How classy was that? (laughs) Sadie was fast asleep. So we're like, right, need to keep her asleep. What can we starve in? We're so tired. We're like, let's Let's keep it grounded. Yeah, chippy tea will do. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that behind the scenes action there uh, in the Bassett household. It was, of course, Mother's Day on Sunday as well. Sending all our best wishes to the mums out there and, and also people that don't have their mums as well. It can be a tough day. It was, of course, a day where we saw the majority of WSL fixtures as well. Carrie, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. I know that there's some there's some writing that's been very studiously hammering out from your laptop for the last year or so. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to be ringing in a lioness year, as you usually do. We talked about mums and one of those mums, of course, in action on Mother's Day was Emma Hayes. She cried about not being with her son on the day because of the away game. She gave some really refreshing, honest words at the end of the game. And she said, I won't be making that mistake again by not bringing him. She stayed overnight in a hotel and all the Chelsea players were saying, well, why didn't you bring him? And so, yeah, she'll be, uh, she'll be very much not doing that again, she said. But she's going to be so thrilled about the result at the end of the game, which means that Chelsea moved top of the WSL. More on how they did in a little while but first let's go with our moments of the WSL with now moments of the women's super league with now watch the big moments from the WSL live with a now sports membership well COVID cases at Spurs and Birmingham meant the big North London derby between Tottenham and Arsenal was postponed how could they do it and Manchester City couldn't host the Blues either but there were still four games on leaving lots of options for moments of the WSL with now and I've gone for Guru Wrighton's first goal for Chelsea what a goal the first of nine she won a free kick for Chelsea and she just dispatched it with such flair and sure-footedness. At top left-hand corner, curled past Demi Lamborn. And I think that set the tone for me. That's when you knew that Chelsea were going to mean business. And it was a very assured performance from Wrighton and from all her teammates, of course, in that game. Uh, Laura Bassett, what's your moment at the WSL? I've gone for Katie Zellum's penalty. Like I say, having been at Old Trafford, being there, seen it in the flesh, Credit goes to Martha Thomas for winning the penalty. Great reaction. But I just can't imagine growing up a Man United fan, being an Academy RTC graduate, being the captain, that huge pressure moment, finally having fans at Old Trafford in front of the Stretford end and delivering such a classy 
penalty for your team to go in the lead 2-1, I just think it's incredible. I'd be retiring after that moment. (laughs) (laughs) And what would you choose, Carrie Dunn? Um, I'm also going to go for a Man United goal, but Rousseau's second, just for its execution, which I loved. I, I love me a, a, a towering header. I grew up as a Luton fan, so you know I'm used to having watched Mick Harford and Steve Howard all through my all through my childhood. She's not quite built like either of them, but the execution of it was fantastic. But also her reaction to it all, as Laura says, what a great occasion. And it's just fantastic to see such such joy in our game, I guess. Yeah, so many homegrown players in that Manchester United team as well. They seem to make a habit, don't they, of of bringing players through the ranks, Manchester United fans at that, and then them performing for their side. Well, those were our standout moments. As always, let us know if we've hit the bullseye or we've gone barking mad by getting in touch with us on Twitter, at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. So that was our preview. Let's dive straight into the action. You can stream the biggest moments of the Women's Super League with Now. Watch all the live Sky Sports action this weekend as Reading try to stop Chelsea in their title-chasing tracks at Kings Meadow on Sunday. And Manchester City look to move one step closer to that Champions League spot when they travel to West Ham on Saturday. And you can watch it all for just $11.99 by grabbing a Now Sports Day membership. To find out more, search Now Sports or visit nowtv.com. Well, 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 Chelsea at top of the table. With the North London derby postponed, they moved ahead of Arsenal and boy, did they do it in style. Leicester City nil, Chelsea nine. Guru Wrighton started things off with that free kick right into the top corner in the third minute. That set the tone. Thanks to Sam Kerr, Beth England and Anique Nuvin, the away side were 4-0 up after just 11 minutes. Wrighton, Kerr and England all bagged braces. Then Lauren James and Jesse Fleming finished off the 9-0 victory in the dying minutes. Laura, what a way for Chelsea to claim top spot. The manner of the win. Was it a team effort or moments of individual brilliance for you? I think a bit of both, to be honest. I think when you see the performance, the goals, I think you see individual brilliance goals. And then I think you see well-worked team effort. But you're right. I think just I think what I was overall impressed it with was the patience. And they just showed a real classy, experienced, mature performance. And then when they bring on the subs, you know, they're starting to get their, you know, the depth in their squad back, the substitutions in the second half, you know, meant that they kept the intensity levels up, the the pressure, the speed of play. I really do think it was a bit of both. And um, it just shows, I thought it was a real statement of intent of how hungry they are, because that Leicester team is not an easy team to beat. And they've shown in their previous performances. Carrie, what about you? Was there a standout performer for you for Chelsea? Who won the day? Oh, well, I mean, it was a fantastic team performance. Obviously, Guru Wrighton had a fantastic game. Uh, Beth England was was incredible. And, you know, what, what more do we need to say about Sam Kerr? So, you know, everywhere you look in that team, there's a, there's a standout performer, isn't there? And they all really brought it against Leicester. We saw Beth England and Sam Kerr combining, didn't we? We haven't seen that in quite a while, both with two goals. Each assisted one of the other's goals, if you see what I mean. We know Beth's been carrying an injury. But again, it just reminds you of the depth of that team as well. And so great to see that combination working again. Laura, we did also see the first WSL goal in the Chelsea shirt for Lauren James as well. You spoke about the substitutes earlier. It feels like Chelsea's treasure chest of riches <laughs> just spilleth over, doesn't it, at the moment? And I was actually really pleased for Lauren James to kind of get that 
off her back, I suppose. It will be an important one for yeah. her, for her to get off the mark. Yeah, I, I think that could have been a moment of the week, wouldn't it? And certainly for her. And I think you see the the way the whole team celebrated with her, the relief on her face, the joy, you know, that that would be key. And she dispatched it well. And being a teammate with her, you know, have seen the quality, everything what she's been through. I'm sure that meant a lot, not only to her, her teammates and the staff that have worked relentlessly on her issues, getting her fully fit. So hopefully, like you say, that's a marker. It's off her back now that she can push on for the business end of the season and carry that on into next year. Yeah, well, Chelsea's 9-0 win sets some records. It's the joint biggest away win in WSL history. It's Chelsea's joint biggest win ever. The biggest winning margin this season in the WSL. And on it goes. We could just carry on with those records as well, such as the significance of it. So points-wise, Carrie, Chelsea have got one more than Arsenal. How are they going to react now to the team being chased rather than the ones doing the chasing? I think Chelsea will react really well to this. They're used to leading from the front. They know what it takes to win the WSL. They are used to being the front runners in a way that Arsenal really haven't been. Arsenal have had the chance this season several times to extend their lead at the top and they have not taken them. Chelsea have put the pressure on. I suspect Chelsea might keep their noses in front to the rest of the season now. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it, Laura, as to how the psychology of this one plays out. I think an important element as well to add into this is that Chelsea can now sell tickets again. An exception was made for the women's team, allowing them to sell tickets for all matches because there was a risk of empty stands. The UK government made alterations, special licence for that to happen. That will be important for Chelsea towards the end of the season as well. It's so easy, isn't it, to think after a 9-0 result that that's it, Chelsea are going to cruise through to the end of the season. Where's your heart at on this one? Well, I mean, every prediction that I've made so far this season has been completely wrong. So I don't know (laughs) my educated opinion matters for nothing. But, you know, your your educated guess has to stay maybe with Chelsea. Like Carrie was saying, they've been in this position before. They've got core players that know how to win, what it's like to win. Having won, you know, last season's FA Cup back in December in that style, having lost the Continental Cup. You know, they've been on a journey being at the Champions League. So I just think maybe they're fighting for something extra this season to really, you know, stake their claim and their identity and prove that they have the resilience to bounce back when they don't get what they want. Mm. Arsenal have got, uh, of course, that postponed fixture to bear in mind as well now, haven't they? So there could be a bit of fixture congestion when you take into account European games as well. Let's talk about Leicester Bass. As a former defender, I've got to ask you whether there was anything really that you can identify here that Leicester could have done differently. They were they were on the back foot. I know that Lydia Bedford said after the game, we asked the players to play a brave style of football and we were 3-0 down after seven minutes. Yeah, that's right. I, just, I think in them opening stages of the game, the gaps were too big between each other, between the teammates, players, between the defence and midfield line. I think they were trying to press higher up the pitch you know, maybe not sit so deep so early. And I get that, but it's a huge pitch at the King Power. Leicester, yes, have played there before, but, you know, it's very different when you're seeing it on a tactics board or when you're seeing the tactics and your game plan on video analysis to then actually execute. The gaps are bigger on the pitch. And I know that's obvious, but then when you try and translate that game plan to the pitch, it's hard. And against world-class top players who Beth England is trying to get back on form, trying to get the get into the squad for the Euros, Sam Curls, world-class, you know, that poor decision-making or the gap too big, it's too late. They've exploited you and you're 
you know, goals conceded. So it would be a tough day, huge learning and, you know, really respectful of Lydia Bedford for her comments after the game because it has to be a collective responsibility. Mm, Carrie, Leicester have got four games left. Uh, Arsenal and Manchester City coming up imminently. How on earth do they pit themselves up for those games? I think when we talk about the relegation battle as well, there isn't much of a battle there, to be fair. I mean, Birmingham are on four points. Leicester are on 12. They are almost kind of fortunate via default because of Birmingham's poor performances this season. But where do Leicester go from here? Arsenal, Man City coming up immediately. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess in one way, it's probably quite a good thing that they've got such tough tough opposition coming up because no one's really expecting them to bounce right back from it. The, the pressure is not on Leicester. So I guess they they can now come out and just think, let's go out and play that brave football again. I mean, the, the thing is, if they're sticking to a game plan, they're playing the type of football they want, that's kind of a little win. I guess if you're not, if you're going out be, getting beaten nine nil by Chelsea, if you're still sticking to the game plan and doing what the coach wanted you to do, then that's something. I guess even if you've got <laughs> nine, if that makes sense, I'm trying to take the positives from it for them. It's going to be tough, though. It's going to be tough. Gonna be no one likes for them. No one likes no one breaking records to, or no being on the wrong end of records, do they? Well, they'll still say Bristol City let in eleven against Arsenal that time, so we weren't as bad as that, <laughs> weren't they? But um, yeah, they're, they're not going to want to play Arsenal or, or Manchester City. But you know, chin up and get out there. All you've got to do is get back on the horse. All right, well, let's move on to the game at Old Trafford. Chelsea wasn't the only team that put on a show this weekend. The stage was set for Manchester United at Old Trafford. Over 20,000 fans in attendance. At first, well, it could have been, it probably was a bit of an embarrassing start for the Red Devils as Everton's Claire Emsley scored in the fourth minute, sprinting onto Kenza Dali's through ball and finishing in the far corner. But Q United fan Alessia Russo, who headed in on your Bade's cross to put the home side level, United captain Katie Zellum, as we've discussed, then converted a penalty to take the lead after Lucy Graham fouled Martha Thomas in the box. And a second Russo header from a Zellum corner finished off the 3-1 win. Let's get the Atmos first from you. Uh, we need a full debrief on this, Bass, if that was okay. Tell me what it was like at Old Trafford. Oh, it was brilliant. You know, first of all, like walking to our seats with a friend of the family and Sadie just holding her hand, walking. And she's been listening to Ella Toon's interviews that she always sings in for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> But so Sadie's learnt one of the songs and so she was singing and just seeing all like that was a special moment for me as an ex-player, as a parent, just to see the noise, the hustle and bustle, you know, that maybe we only experience in England at cup finals or tournament games with the Lionesses. So just a regular WSL match, you know, I just think it was fantastic. And then, yeah, it, it was special. Um, it was a really really good occasion and and I think everyone who I've spoken to really enjoyed the day whether they were there or whether the te- whether mm. they watched it on the TV so huge huge special moment for women's football I think what was it like in the crowd when united conceded so early yeah like you say shock it was like what this is not part of the script like you expect a competitive game yeah it was uh, well people had people probably hadn't even took their seats you know they were probably still getting some food or whatever I know I certainly got up and was like Sadie right we need the toilet I need to calm down I need to need to get away I can't control my nerves anymore but yeah then then the United equalizers like the crowd it was just insane like yeah you look around there was still some empty seats wasn't there it didn't look it was good that the the spread of fans 
but certainly the noise when United scored every time, it was insane. It was it felt special and you couldn't help but get wrapped up in that. Yeah, eventually the best possible outcome, really, Carrie. What did you make of this game? And let's and let's talk about Alessia Russo as well, who who was a standout player for me, definitely. I really, really enjoyed this match. So I was watching it on, on the telly from home. And as Bass said, it was a little bit like an FA Cup final, I think particularly with the weather as well. So the sun is shining, <laughs> flags are waving, everyone's singing. And I was like, yeah, I'm really up for this. And obviously I'm watching as a neutral. But yeah, Russo had a great game. And uh, yeah, she's surprisingly good in the air. I hadn't, I hadn't watched her that closely for United before because obviously I'm pop, dipping in and out of different games. But yeah, she had a fantastic game. Um, yes, it bodes extremely well for the future, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's really, really interesting when you think about the Euros coming up as well. You know, such, such a huge prospect. She scores about, she averages about one in every two games. I was looking it up. So she scored her eighth and ninth goal of the WSL season in this game. A goal every two games is not bad at all, actually. Very, very good. Carrie, let's just look at Everton and what they do to get through to the end of the season. What does the priority need to be for the side? They've had a funny old season, haven't they? I mean, obviously, before the end of last season, we had Willie Kirk talking about kind of wanting to push for Champions League places. And obviously, that didn't really happen. We had the new manager come in and then went very quickly. There seems to be kind of a lot of instability, but also we also know that there's been stuff going on at the parent club about uh, kind of investments and sponsorships and things. So there's stuff going on behind the scenes as well, which is always going to have a knock-on effect on the on the team that we see on the pitch. But yeah, I think they need to kind of use this summer as a bit of a rebuilding process. Who is going to be in charge? What is that squad doing? Let you know, there's so many good players in that squad. What is happening? Who's staying? Who's going? What is the long-term plan? And try and stick to it. There's too much change. Yeah, I think stability, you're right, is really important. Now that they are, you know, safe, I think they just need to hold out until the end of the season, don't they? And then really use that off-season wisely, not recruit nine more players and uh, and change a couple of managers and hope that it's okay. Let's talk about the Champions League finish. This is, you know, again, we've got the title race and we've got these three Champions League places. So Manchester United currently in third, three points ahead of City who are in fourth, but City have got a game in hand. Man United's final games are Brighton, Villa, West Ham and Chelsea. Hope everyone's keeping up. City's <laughs> final games are West Ham, Leicester, Brighton, Reading and Birmingham, which was the postponed game. Am I right to write Spurs out of this? They're seven points behind United with two games in hand. So it's all still mathematically possible, but I could only really deal with two teams in my head. (laughs) So in all honesty, sorry, Spurs. Where are we going on this? Um, I mean, Laura, you you are going to have to pledge allegiance to the Temple of Manchester United, aren't you, on this? (laughs) yeah of course but going back to Spurs I think we could have made a decision on them if their game the last two games hadn't called off they had Chelsea and then Arsenal at the Emirates in the space of three days so I think that would have been a huge litmus test for them and I think we could have made a decision on the fact that those games didn't go ahead you know like you say a spark is still alive for them with the other two you know the fact that they're rivals as well you know for the fans it's just incredible isn't it but the third place 
Champions League as it's, we definitely need it for, for the WSL. It's been fantastic. Yeah, I've got a pledge allegiance. I understand, look, you know, and I think I think it's unfair, I must say, that I think managers and players are getting uh, unfairly criticised for, for playing the cliche game. I don't know what we want them to say. You know, you've got maybe Emma Hayes talking about the next block you know, uh, Alessio Russo was talking about the performance, the team, the next game. Like, I don't know what else we want from them. If Because if they go all out blazing, no, we're going to do it. They just, you know, and they don't. Media, everyone's going to pile on, jump on board and, um, and, and, and take in. So, yeah, I just think from having played, I just think it is, the message it is, it has to be, you can only control your, of course, Man United and Man City, they want to win. They want to win every game. Of course they do. But it's just having that, you need your arrogance on the pitch, not maybe off it in press conferences. Oh, you see, that is the player's perspective, Carrie. Mm. Um, having written about women's football for so many years, have you, have you, this is quite an interesting one to ask, actually, whether you've seen the arrogance increase as the games got bigger? No, I don't. I don't think there's arrogance per se. I, I think arrogance is always a difficult word to use in sport because it's so rarely actual arrogance. It's either bravado or it's just self confidence, which you're going to need to be a top athlete or coach. So, yeah. But I, I think what's happened now is because there's more media coverage, you get kind of more coverage of these quotes yeah. that come out and it's made into yeah. more than yeah. it's Everyone's after a headline, is. aren't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can understand that as well because everyone's got, got, got their jobs to do. You're going to hook on to the thing that's going to get people to you know click on it or buy the paper. But yeah, I think arrogance isn't isn't a word that I would yeah, use. May, yeah, maybe I didn't mean, you know, arrogance, but like that ultra no. self-belief, the focus. Mm. Good the, ego. Uh, Good the ego. swag. Yeah, the mm. swag. You've got to you've mm. got to have big in these moments to get what you want, you've got to have huge personality and you've got to you've got to absorb pressure and make it take you to the next level. Back to that third Champions League spot. Carrie Dunn, where is your head at and why? <laughs> um looking at the games remaining. You'd probably think that City might have a slightly better run in, but I would also say that points in the bag is more important than games in hand because that is something that's drummed into you from when you're a kid. <laughs> so I think I'd probably say United have the edge at the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it go right down to the wire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're basically sitting on the fence. I right? am. What are you, say, what are you saying, Kate? <laughs> yeah, come on, Kate. Come on. <laughs> I, oh God, I'm really sorry, but I, I have a feeling that Man City might just bolt through. I think that Old Trafford would have would have set a benchmark almost for Manchester City to go, we're not having that. And they might bolt through. So there you go, just to be contentious. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the remaining fixtures. Looking a bit further down now to mid-table West Ham and Brighton, who faced off on Sunday. Uh, the Seagulls started as they meant to go on. In the third minute, Inessa Kugman fed an unmarked Eileen Whelan on the edge of the box, who finished with a bouncing ball into the far corner of the net after several more chances during the game. With 10 minutes to go, Brighton made it 2-0 as Kugman pounced on a defensive miscommunication from the West Ham defence. Plenty of chances for Brighton in this one. It was good to see, especially in the first half, actually. What did you make of their performance, Carrie? I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was really good, really open-ended, some fantastic attacking play. And I thought both West Ham and Brighton looked looked good sides. There's 
there's definitely potential there for for next season. There's definitely progress and something they can build on for next year, which is, I guess, what both the coaches will be looking forward to now. What about Villa? The second goal, Brighton's second goal, Laura Bassett, was just a blooming mess, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, reaching the semi-final of the FA Cup, you know, with that in mind, half an eye on that, you know, you want to be defensively stable, consistent, do the right things, and and you want to eradicate those individual errors. But all credit to Brighton, you know, really took advantage, didn't they? You know, not only I think they got the noses in front and then waited for moments like that and really capitalised on it. I thought in this game, Dan Carter and Lee Gu Min really linked up well and were playing with an extra hunger. And then you added Aileen Whelan and Essa Kargman into that with their qualities that they have. Uh, yeah, I thought it, thought it was a really good performance from them. Yeah, that second goal, by the way, in terms of what happened uh, for West Ham, it was a Sissoko slow ball back to keeper Mackenzie Arnold. Grace Fist then collided with Arnold, set the ball free and left the net open for Inessa Kugman. Both of these teams are safe. And so we look ahead to either what they've got left for the rest of the season or we look ahead to next season. One note for West Ham, really. They've not won much at home. That's one area where they can really improve to make Chigwell a fortress and convert some of those draws that they've had at home into wins. That's definitely something for them to work on. All right, well, in our final game of the weekend, it was Aston Villa hosting Reading in another mid-table match. After Villa missed a host of chances, Reading's Amelie Eicheland was fouled by Maz Pacheco and Justin Van Havermaet opened the scoring for the Royals with a penalty. But seven minutes later, Alicia Lehman charged the ball down the pitch, fed Laura Blinkild, who crossed to Ramona Petzelsberger, heading in the equaliser for the home side to make it one all. Big point for this one, Laura Bassett. It ends Villa's... 10-match run of home defeats. And they had the better chances in this game, I think. Yeah, they did. I think I think overall, I think they'll be disappointed not to take all three points. I think the last few games, they've been playing some good football. I think they'll be pleased with some of the things, you know, I think you can see maybe what they've been trying to work on in the final third play and really trying to create as many chances. And now it's about that killer instinct, that clinical piece, which, you know, you can only do so many coaching sessions it's about that player having the ultra calmness and composure in that moment in the 18 yard box but I thought special mention I thought Remy Allen was excellent not only what she gives you in her energy in terms of box-to-box player but the, the way she creates chances and and it's no coincidence that a lot of chances fall to her. That's good play. That's reading of the game situation. But also Anita Asante, I thought it'd be interesting because with Anita Asante and Rachel Corsi in a centre-back partnership with Anna Patton being out, I thought, OK, with you know the threats that Reading have, especially Diane Rose, we've seen her time and time again. But I thought especially Anita Asante was you know, playing like she was 18 again and just dominating that situation. <laughs> so I think it, that really helped Villa nullify Reading's threats um, and with a performer like that, with Anita Asante, then it helped them, you know, create as many chances. So I think they'll be disappointed. But like you say, to end that losing run was important mm. for them. We'll take any notes you've got, Anita, on playing like an 18-year-old here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I expected to buy me a coffee now for that. Yes, <laughs> no, absolutely. No, all true, all true. Carrie, what do we make of Reading? They had well, they had a great run from October to the start of February. They got 22 points from a possible 24 in the WSL. Since then, they've got just two of the last 18 points available to them. It's so frustrating, isn't it? I just want to 
to Reading because they <laughs> they have blipped in previous seasons, but they've always managed a decent finish. And it feels like this season they're either one way or the other. What's your analysis? Yeah, they've done it the other way around this year, haven't they? They started with their really strong section and then kind of gone really weird. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a consistency thing. You're right. It's really frustrating because there's nothing you can kind of put your finger on and say, Reading need to do this because they know what they need to do because they did it for four months at the start of the season. No, I find it I find it incredibly frustrating to watch as a fan. I don't know what you think, Bass, as a player. What would what would you be thinking if you're in that squad? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of teams in the WSL that have struggled with consistency, but I also look the fixture list. Like if you look, I think Everton have had, you know, they play the top teams one after each other and then you lose confidence, lose your consistency, lose your belief maybe. And I think Reading are another one of those. And I also think maybe we can't underplay this season the impact of COVID, impact of injuries. And yeah, I just think that we're seeing that play out in maybe team selection and performances maybe more than we would in other other seasons. Are we saying that there's potentially not enough of a safety net at Reading, that they've not kind of ebbed and flowed with it enough? Or is it just a run of, you know, injuries to key players or or just not just not being able to find that kind of bit of consistency? What Bass just said is really interesting to me in that about the run of the fixture list, because in such a small league, I guess the chances are are that you're going to get a couple of tough teams together and then you haven't got the space to recover from it in the way that you would if you had, you know, 38, 42, 46 games. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Especially if, for example, those, so if you've got three or four league games in a month and you play the top top teams, whereas if they're spread out in between a Continental Cup fixture, you know, maybe early part of the season where you've got group stages or and then the FA Cup game. I think if they're interspersed with those, maybe you have a little bit of respite or time to get your squad regrouped. But if you don't, you know, you have three solid back-to-back WSL games, which doesn't happen very often in a month. You know, it's, it's few and far. And then add in, um, you know, the international breaks. Um, I just think it can really impact the mentality of your squad. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a subscription now for just £1 a month for the next six months by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. It's Kate Borsay here with former Lioness Laura Bassett and football writer Carrie Dunn. In other news, on Monday, it was 100 days to go until the Euros in England this summer. Tickets for the final at Wembley on the 31st of July, my birthday, by the way, in case anyone's offering, <laughs> uh, sold out in under an hour. And the attendance could well surpass the record for any Euros match for either men or women. Laura, it's Oh, it's time to get excited, isn't it? I think 100 <laughs> days to go. Suddenly it's here. And, and we're also at that point in the season, aren't we? The WSL season where we're sort of four or five games to go. We're nearly there. What are your hopes for the Lionesses and the impact of a home tournament as well for them? Yeah, well, well first of all, I'm thinking, what? It's sold out. I haven't got my final ticket. I haven't got a ticket. What? <laughs> I haven't I'm fuming. Either. I'm not excited. I'm fuming. <laughs> so I need to find a way to beg, steal or borrow one of those. You'll um, be fine. Yeah, uh, just pure excitement. 100 days. All of a sudden, we've been building this for ages, it seems. And now we're like, what? For players, it must be, like you say, the business end. You want to be 
playing well, performing well. It's your last chance, isn't it, really? But yeah, in, the impact of it, you know, even off the back of Old Trafford, which England will play their opening game, it, it's a you know chance of what you can build on. And I think players are, are realising that now. That, like you say, it's all set for them, the stage. And it's a real chance for us to push on from the home Euros back in 2005, the Olympics, you know, could be a statement of intent. And I think also it's so exciting for players because they really could become the next hero. Ah, so exciting. And as you know, from your experience, you know, heading off to a tournament and coming back, coming back a different player almost in terms of profile and in terms of what it's done for the women's game. England's group, they are joined by Austria, Northern Ireland and Norway. Carrie, you're a veteran of tournaments, international tournaments. <laughs> as far as England go, you are. You are the voice of wisdom. You've, you've written extensively about the Lionesses. Where's your instincts on this? How are you feeling about, about how England will get on this summer? I think they will do pretty well. I mean, I like what I've seen in the qualification. I like what I've seen in the friendlies. Obviously, that's not the same as tournament competition because that is always very, very different. So it's always kind of with a certain amount of caution that I say this. But yes, I think they're going to give a a good account of themselves. I'm not going to make any predictions before you ask me to. That's so tame. (laughs) Well, at least it's added some spice with Ada Hegerberg um, announcing that she's going to be playing for Norway. So that's added some spice to the game, certainly. Yeah, so... She, of course, exited the Norway squad back in 2017. And she said women's football wasn't being developed enough over there. She's now ready to re-engage. And I think a big part of that as well, her sort of willingness to get back into it, is that Norway have got a new federation president elected on the 7th of March. And I think there's been a lot of kind of a lot of relationship building there, which, you know, which again makes for a very exciting Euros as well. How do you think she's going to do? Do you think she's going to slot back in there, though, Carrie? Yeah, she's Ada Hegerberg. Um, yeah, it's, it's true. Um, it's true. But um, I'm so pleased that, that this has happened, and it's happened relatively quickly to give her, you know, even if it is kind of two or three months to settle back in with the squad, to be able to do that. I mean, obviously, she's going to have spoken to the rest of the squad players, I'm sure, and you know, in, in the intervening five years. But the fact that the Federation president has acted so quickly to bring her back into the fold, I think indicates how seriously uh, women's football is now being taken in Norway. If she's happy with it, then that's a pretty good sign for the health of women's football in Norway. Yeah. And we've got that approach across Europe as well. I think it's fair to say that the game across the whole of Europe's grown so much since 2017. And Carrie, you've written a book. It's coming out in June called Unsuitable Females, The Rise of the Lionesses and Women's Football in England. Tell us a bit more about it. So it's kind of more of a historical book than my than my previous books, but it's telling the story of how women's football has developed through a series of kind of pen portraits. So going back to kind of the start of women's football in England and picking out key people as we progress through the kind of century and a half uh, to the to the present day. So looking at you know the Dick Kerr's ladies and Lily Parr and the suffragettes who are playing for the British ladies at the start of the 20th century, but then kind of moving through the interwar period into the start of the women's FA in the 60s and talking to Pat Gregory, who is amazing. Oh, my goodness. Yes. She's all absolutely of us, all of us know Pat. 
She's absolutely formidable. And it's so funny because all the players I spoke to who played in the Women's FA's England team, they're like, we're still a bit scared of her. <laughs> She's just incredible. <laughs> um, obviously, the lost Lionesses who are off in Mexico at the unofficial uh, World Cup. A, a lost team in Lowestoft uh, at the start of the 1980s who folded straight after winning mm. the FA Cup. Um, the weird stuff that's gone on at Southampton and the three or four different teams that they've had, that it's really odd to kind of trace their family tree of football down in Southampton. Obviously, now we've got a Marianne Spaces team kind of uh, uh, waving the flag down there. And obviously through to the through to the current day and looking ahead to what women's football might look like in the future. So yes, it's a different kind of structure to to my previous books, and it's not like a comprehensive history, but it tells stories of some really interesting people. So I yeah. I hope people will enjoy it. Yes, it, it's out in June. It's called Unsuitable for Females: The Rise of the Lionesses and Women's Football in England. It feels like a great pre-tournament read to me, Carrie Dunn. Um, before the book comes out. Uh, and the Lionesses feature at the Euros. Uh, They've got some World Cup qualifiers coming up against North Macedonia and Northern Ireland in April. The squad uh, will be announced just after we record, uh, so we'll look forward to hearing that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, before we get to see England in those April qualifiers, we've got plenty of action this week to look forward to. It's the second leg of the Champions League quarterfinals midweek. Arsenal travel to Wolfsburg on Thursday, looking to make a mark after that one-all draw last week at the Emirates. In that one, the Gunners had a host of chances, but only salvaged a draw in the 89th minute, thanks to Lotta Wuben Moy. But I don't know if you saw this one, Jonas Edeval afterwards, really defiant, like definitely we're going to get the result we need away from home and walk off with this one. We were talking about ballsiness earlier, weren't we? Um, <laughs> as I long as there's I... no black cats. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of Arsenal for this tie? Can they just get the job done at Wolfsburg as Idaval seems to hint that they can? Yeah, I mean, I was at the Emirates for this game, absolutely loved it. You know, just having the quality of Champions League quarterfinal, you know, both teams going at it. It was certainly an open game. And I actually I actually think that Wolfsburg, you know, was so dangerous on the counter-attack. They managed to soak up, like a lot of German teams can do, their mentality is so resilient, soak up a lot of pressure, but they're so clinical and potent on the counter-attack. But actually, I liked how Arsenal grew into the game. And I, I think they should be confident going. I think, look, I think Beth Mead will be a huge miss. I really do. But I do think that, you know, with the last two windows, Arsenal have managed to recruit with the depth that they have. But I do think Beth Mead will be a huge miss. But I can't call this one. I genuinely can't because I think Wolfsburg have already sold 9,000 tickets. I saw on socials yesterday. It's a tough place to go. You can't mm. underestimate it. Look, you know, you have to treat it like a cup final. Can't call it, but. Yeah, I'll be certainly watching that one. 
All eyes on that one midweek. And as we mentioned last week, Barcelona have sold out the new Camp for their El Clasico against Real Madrid on Wednesday. That one, by the way, could break the world attendance record for a women's club football match. It's the first ever game for Barca women at the Camp Nou with fans. Tickets are sold out in all sections apart from certain VIP areas. And the overall capacity of the stadium is just over 99,000. So watch this space for that. Despite conceding early, Barcelona won the first leg 3-1. In the other quarterfinals, PSG hosts Bayern on Wednesday. PSG are leading 2-1 on aggregate. And on Thursday, Leon hosts Juventus, who produced a shock 2-1 victory in the first leg. Oh, I like those. Mix it up a bit. <laughs> Let's turn our attention, though, to the WSL. Leaders Chelsea, got to get used to saying that, at least for now, host Reading. While Chasers Arsenal travel to Leicester City. Bottom Birmingham play Everton and the sides hoping for the third Champions League spot play mid-table sides. Man City travel to West Ham, Man United host Brighton and Spurs face Aston Villa. Carrie Dunn, what are you looking forward to the most from those fixtures? I think I'll be looking out most for Man United Brighton, actually. I actually really enjoyed what I saw from Brighton this weekend and it'll be really good to see how they play, how they set up and how they do against the side with so much on the line at the top of the table. And Laura, what about you? I'm going to go for Tottenham Villa. I think Villa, the performances that they've been putting putting on, they've finally got the point, you know, something back from the game. And also what we were speaking about earlier, Tottenham, where are they at? I feel like they haven't played in ages. You know, where can we discard them or are they going to, you know, blow Villa out the water and really stake a claim? So I'm intrigued on that, that game. Quick one to add on the end here is that Birmingham City have announced they'll play their home games at St Andrews for the 2022-23 season, regardless of what division they'll be participating in. Uh, Carrie, just very briefly, is this a bit misguided, particularly if they're a championship side? Surely this could cause more harm than good and their ambition might be better directed to other areas? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't ever wish to um, denigrate any club that is going to invest in its women's side or put its faith behind its women's side. But what is the point in what is essentially going to be an FA Women's Championship side playing in a stadium that size if you're not getting fans in, if you've not got a decent uh, setup, if you haven't got the squad that you want? I think there are more important things to address the attention to at Birmingham at the moment. But, you know, Good to see it finally, but maybe you could have done it five years ago. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, listen, that is all we've got time for on today's show. This week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast drawing to a close. Despite what I say about Manchester City taking third place, I hope you get to enjoy some more chip dinners before (laughs) the end of the season. (laughs) Although I would say it stops me cooking, but Mark's a better cook anyway, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carrie best of luck with the book Uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with you in the meantime as well I look forward to reading it and um, if you're listening uh, if you're listening to this don't forget to share your thoughts on Twitter at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod don't forget to tell your friends about us rate, subscribe and leave a review until next week speak to you then The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.